I'm straight up Winnie the Pooh in it, except I have underwear on, so... Well, I'm wearing shorts. I've been Winnie the Poohing it for, like, three weeks now, because I hate pants with this boot on. Just, like, shorts in general. I just wear, Mm -hmm. like, baggy sweatshirts and long tank tops with, like, boy short underwear on and call it good, because fuck pants. (laughs) Oh, that means... Oh, okay. Sorry. You're busy watching your countdown it's, for no, ten minutes. It's a commercial. <laughs> I was oh. like, I was like, why is she saying that I'm evens? I don't understand. I was like, oh wait, no, that means I start. Okay, focus. I believe you said, yep, and then <laughs> just zoned out. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to be quiet so you can start. <laughs> Sorry. All right, welcome to episode sixty-four of I'm Sorry About the Podcast. I am Christina. I'm Amanda. Oh, that was, that was okay. It was, I mean, it was something. <laughs> I don't know. We were jamming out in the car on the way back. Aww. So I just got done with like five hours of singing. Just went on a romantic getaway to Duluth. Um, you know what was the crummiest part about it though? What? So he looked up, all the national parks were supposed to be open now. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he was going to bring me up to cascade where he was going to propose mm-hmm. and we got up there and that one was still closed because it's so close to the canadian border uh, yeah so i was like well i guess we'll just have to come up here a different time <laughs> um can i come because i want to go see all the waterfalls along that national park trail you don't break your shit but sure no i'm not gonna break my shit because now they're both bionic yeah but it's a like i am sore like my ankles are sore it's a lot of whacking, you know? I know. And you're but- not exactly graceful. Listen. That's Listen, true. you bitch. <laughs> Listen here, you bitch. But yeah, I'd be all for it because it's pretty cool. I think you wanted to take me just for a romantic, like, so this is what I was going to do. Blah, 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 blue, blue, blue. But instead, it ended up that that was closed. And then the furthest north that, like, we drove up there, all the way up there. Oh. And it was we didn't closed. check? No, he checked. All the national oh. parks are supposed to be open right now in the state. I know, but, he but didn't that check one was closed. Park. He looked up the national parks. That's supposed to be a blanket national park open, like their website. So mm-hmm. we went up there, and yep, yeah, nope. So, um, yeah. So we drove like an hour and some to just turn around, but then we stopped at the still beautiful park. scenery. Right, I kept calling it. I kept calling it the devil's butthole, but it's devil's the devil's kettle. kettle. I know, but I'm like, it's like the devil's butthole. You it's don't know where it goes. It's a devil's butthole. We know where the butthole goes. <laughs> Not the devil's. Probably just straight to hell. You can't find where the kettle goes. So now it's its butthole. Devil's butthole. Because <laughs> a butthole. Butthole. God, we're. That was the furthest north that we could find something that was open to actually go to. Nice. So, so we did that at least. We got a couple gooseberry. cool things. No, we went to Gooseberry last time, so we he wanted to go to a couple other things this time. But yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was nice. Nice. Away from mayhem and chaos and yeah, I haven't left my couch and I can't count in a long time. Yeah, like three and a half weeks. Yep, something like that. So. And if I haven't left my couch, I've left my couch. I just haven't left my house. I haven't been outside since last Wednesday. 
Burn, <laughs> homie. I'm going to be so pasty white. You're going to walk out and burn instantaneously. And then I took my boot off to just, like, rewrap my wrapping and, like, get my foot better situated in my boot. And I felt the muscle in my calf. I have no calf muscle right now. It's literally just, like, jello. Because <laughs> I haven't used it in, haven't used my calf muscle Whoa. in, like, three and a half almost. <laughs> it'll be four weeks next week when I go in and then they'll tell me I can start trying to walk. And I like felt my calf muscle. I'm like, oh, it's just like jello. <laughs> so gross. I mean, physically, it's not for real that how I feel, but with all the gym's clothes, that's how I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling real soft. I'm real, like, feeling real, real squishy. No, no one better fight me right now because I might get out of breath before I even get my hands up. Because <laughs> no one better fight me right now because that's what they were planning. <laughs> You know, you know that's. I like to feel like I could kick someone's ass, and right now I don't feel that way. No, so I'm not, I don't feel comfortable. I'm unprepared for any altercations. <laughs> we are currently recording this during the um, George Floyd stuff. That's happening. No, I was talking about the rocket ship launch. Oh, it's a minute and twenty seconds before it launches. Oh shit, son! So then we gotta just sit here. <laughs> I can turn it so you can watch it too. Oh, it's very exciting. Turn it to the TV. Hey, it's like a once in a lifetime. It's like super tiny TV in my dad's room. So <laughs> <you> can... <laughs> Look at that. Look at, at that. Box TV. Look at that box TV block. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Fuck, where's the remote? Because I want to hear it. Because I know it talks when it goes off. It talks. <laughs> Oh fuck! I don't know when the, I don't know when the remote went. It's fine. I don't need to hear it. I'll turn it back to me because I'll show it. Ten, nine, <laughs> no, thirty-five seconds. Thirty. You gonna describe anything, or we're just gonna sit here? In it the looks silence? like a tampon on fire shooting up into the sky. That's that's. It's just literally just like a blue tampon, or a blue background with a tampon on fire. That's all I see. If I see replays of this and it doesn't look like that, I'm going to judge the fuck out of you. Dude, what else would it, it literally looks? There's nothing else I could describe it as. I'm going to see. I can't see anything. It's, it's, like a, it's like a tampon on fire shooting through the blue, wild blue yonder. That's all I got. Through the wild blue yonder. Flying high into the sky. Okay. We can start. Sorry. Back to me. And Back you. to this. Back to this. Um, Wait till you do your Velcro. Just tighten up the boot. <laughs> Back to this. <laughs> Maybe we'll wait. Tightening up the boot. Felt a little looski. Looski. Looski gooski. So I had my surgery and um, I've not been having a good time. So. Well, I mean, we recorded after you. No, we didn't, did we? Oh, the first time recording, and I'm, um, this is the worst pain from surgery, I think. Hmm. The other one was, it's hard to, okay, so my left ankle with all the tendon stuff was a nightmare. That was, that hurt really bad, but this one has the longest running pain, I guess. Okay. Like it's, it's like a, it feels like a deep bruise, and then my calf will, like, spasm and feels like it's in a charley horse, and then, like... I have such bad nerve pain that like having the boot on my toes hurt. So it's it's weird. I have I have nerve pain medication now cuz I'm apparently 65 and then also pain medication and I'm just 
She's riding, just want, flying ride, high. <laughs> ride the struggle bus real hard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wrote this story while I had taken after I had taken some pain medication. So it's gonna be new to all of us, is what you're saying. Well, we'll see how well it put it together. <laughs> well, I mean, at least you did it. <laughs> Could have gotten here and been like. So I didn't do anything. So we're I just going to do one story today. We're just, Amanda's just going to tell me a story today. <laughs> um, you sleepy there, buddy? <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I just woke up from a nap. I've literally been staying up all night and then waiting until my dad gets up and then going and stealing his bed and then sleeping in his bed all day. Because <laughs> the couch and the chair are not comfortable anymore. Last yeah, night I tried a couple to, nights. Last time I tried to talk him into sleeping on the couch, and he's like, "Fuck no, I'm sleeping in my bed." And I'm like, "I know, but what if you didn't? <laughs> but what if you let me? What if I slept in your bed and you slept on the couch? Deal?" And he's like, "No." And just walked into his room. I was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> ah, at least you tried. Yeah, but what if you didn't? Um, All right. So, what kind of a story did you uh, find while you were high as hell? Don't you don't know to describe it but um i remember while i was writing it being like this this is crazy <laughs> so, so let's see if it's actually crazy or if yeah. your head was like and this is wow wow dragons <laughs> uh we'll see if uh it is as interesting as it was when i was writing it last night <laughs> Here goes. Okay, so uh, Elizabeth Betsy K. Feria, she worked at a state farm and lived in Troy, Missouri uh, with her husband, Russell Scott Feria. They had, um, and she had two daughters from a previous relationship. Okay. Uh, in 2010, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then in October of 2011, she learned that the cancer had metastasized to her liver and she was terminal. Oh, no. So on December 27th, uh, she underwent a chemotherapy at the Siteman Cancer Center and then visited her mother's house, after which um, her friend Pamela Hupp drove her home. Um, she'd actually been scheduled to be driven home by a family friend, but Hupp had driven to her mother's house and insisted on driving her home. So there we okay. She dropped Betsy Ferry off at her home at approximately 7 o'clock p.m. Um her husband spent the evening at his friend Michael's home uh, watching movies or until around like 9 p.m. And then they drove, he drove to an Arby's uh, in Lake St. Louis before returning home at about 9 40 p.m. that evening. He called 911 and on the call uh, reported that he had returned home to returned to his home to find his wife had committed suicide. Oh no. Um, but she had been stabbed over 55 times with her arms almost entirely severed and the murder weapon was a serrated kitchen knife and it was lodged into her neck. What the, f that's, what did he, what, <laughs> hold on. He had to have just like peeked and been like, holy shit. And then like ran away if that's what he thought happened is it was a suicide. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a second knife was found under a pillow on the couch she had been lying on. And then first responders had arrived about 9.50 p.m. and then concluded, obviously, that she was murdered and had been dead for at least an hour, if not longer. Okay. Uh, the suspicions quickly fell onto her husband. Uh, he was arrested the, d the following day um, for the murder. 
basically, well, they found it suspicious that he had on the 911 call said she had killed herself mm-hmm. because that was obviously looter, loot, like just re- ridiculous. Loot I wrote ludicrout. <laughs> Very ludicrout. <laughs> uh, oh boy, okay. I'm ready by, for more of those. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, by the first responders who her arms were almost severed like right obviously you can't do that to yourself um a search of the house by police found a blood-stained pair of slippers in his closet and then his volatile emotional state was regarded as suspicious by police um he failed a polygraph test and so he was arrested so unbeknownst to the rest of her family on december 22nd 2011 so just a couple of days before she was murdered mm-hmm. Uh, Betsy had changed her, the sole beneficiary of her $150,000 um, state farm life insurance policy from her husband to her friend Pamela Hupp. Um, Hupp originally claimed that Betsy had asked her to give the money to her daughters when they were older, but then later claimed that Betsy had wanted her to keep the money for herself. Okay. Uh, prosecutors speculated that her husband had discovered this change and had been angered by her actions, which gave him a motive. Uh, but he remained still the beneficiary on a separate $100,000 policy. So um, when interviewed by police, Pamela claimed that Russ had a violent temper, that he was a heavy drinker and he had been threatened by Betsy and that Betsy had been considered, consider, had considered leaving him. Um, She had suggested to police that they search Betsy's laptop and they found a document in which she had reported, expressed fears that her husband would murder her okay so on january 4th the day after her funeral he was charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action as and he was unable to meet his bail of two hundred fifty thousand. uh he was held in the lincoln county jail until his trial began in november 18th of 2013 during that trial His defense attorney argued that the testimonies of his four friends had been visiting and evidence of him making a purchase from multiple different stores over the course of the evening demonstrated that the timeline did not allow for him to commit the murder. Uh, There were no traces of blood on his clothes at all. Uh, The prosecuting attorney said that his friends were providing a false alibi and they were colluding with him to carry out the murder. Of course. Um, and they refused. So the defense attorney was saying, why have they not been looking at Pamela Hupp, who was the last person to see him, see her alive as well. Um, but the judge al- refused to allow the defense attorney to present any evidence implicating Hupp as an alternative suspect in the trial. Why? Including cell phone records showing that Hupp had been in the vicinity of Faria's house for up to 30 minutes after the time she had claimed to drop her off at the house. Um, and the fact that it had been changed to her name. Right. Like, clearly there's some motive or reason right. that that could have been. Okay. So then on November 21st, 2013, uh, he was convicted on both counts of murder. And on December 22nd, he was sentenced to life plus 30 years in prison um, and sent to the Jefferson City Correctional Center. So although the premises for the prosecution's case was that Russ Faria's four friends had been complicit in the murder, they never pressed any charges against them. Hmm. Okay. So then in February of 2014, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch 
published a story that stated that the 150000 received by Hupp had been kept by her rather than put into a trust for Betsy Faria's daughters, and that Hupp had made contradictory statements during her interviews with police, initially claiming that she had not entered the Faria house after driving her home and then revising that account twice. Okay. The story featured an interview with the 911 operator who had taken Russ's call, who stated she believed his hysterical state upon making the call was genuine. Genuine. Uh, it also claimed that prosecuting attorney Leah Askey and had been in a relationship with Mike Lang, the then captain of investigations for the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office, when this went down. Huh. Um, and he was an investigator in the Betsy Feria murder case who testified against Russ Far- Feria in his trial. So there was kind of... there, Yeah, yeah. right. Connections of some sort. Uh, two members of the jury actually approached the media to flag concerns that this information had been withheld. Um, so then the verdict was appealed in February of 2015 in the Missouri Court of Appeals, and they sent it back to the trial with a different judge. So that judge granted a motion by Schwartz for a new bench trial based on the evidence that had emerged, uh, and he was released on bond pending the trial. Okay. During the retrial, the defense was allowed to introduce evidence implicating Hump Hup as the perpetrator. Hump. Hump. Um, <laughs> the, they had a CSI agent who had examined the crime scene and stated that the bloody slippers, slip, bloody slippers found in Faria's closet had not actually stepped in the blood. It was like somebody dipped them in the blood. Oh. During the trial, police officers also stated that Hup who was not called to testify in the trial at all, had claimed in interviews conducted in June that she and Betsy Feria had been in a sexual relationship. Huh. Okay. All right. Uh, she also stated to police that she had remembered seeing Russ and another man in a parked car in a side street outside the Feria home as she drove Betsy home on November 7th. Um, or as she had drove Betsy home, but that had never been produced in the first trial and she never mentioned that in the first trial right so on november 7th 2050 15 2050 2050 this is why this was fucking crazy yeah from the future uh faria's conviction was overturned good so in july of 2016 he lodged a civil rights lawsuit against the prosecuting the Leah Askey, the prosecutor, and three officers of the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office on the basis that they had fabricated evidence, ignored exonerating evidence, and failed to investigate another obvious subject. And in March of this year, he received a settlement over two, worth over $2 million. Good, because clearly they were not even trying to look for other things. Right. So, Betsy Ferry's daughter launched a legal challenge against Hupp and her husband to attempt to claim the life insurance policy in 2014, but that was dismissed in 2016. Uh, And then claims against Pamela Hupp were never investigated. Uh, The decision not to investigate Hupp as the potential perpetrator of the murder had been obviously widely criticized. Mm-hmm. Um, a former employee of the prosecutor's office stated that there were several of us that kept thinking, why are we not pursuing Hup? Um, and they had just been locked in on the husband. Right. So that's the end of the first part of the story. Okay. Now we're going to take it back to October 10th, 1958. 
Oh, were you we're doing? just October 10th, 1958. Whoa. That's as close to the 1960s. I'm sorry. We did that last time. Just yeah. Sorry. You said Cam- it wasn't a good choice either because I had already said something about other things. 60s. I was high as fuck. I was fine. Okay. So Pamela Hupp grew up in Delwood, Missouri, and she attended Riverview Gardens High School. She held, held several jobs in the life insurance industry. And on two occasions, she was fired for forging signatures. In 2001, Hupp and her husband began living in Fallon, Missouri, where she worked as an administrator for State Farm. And by 2010, she had stopped working and was claiming disability benefits for back, leg, and neck pain. Okay. So her mother, Shirley Newman, was (laughs) Pamela Hupp's mother. Um, And she was living alone in by 2013 in a third floor apartment in Lakeview Park Independent Senior Living Community Center uh, in Fenton, Missouri. And she was suffering from dementia and arthritis. Poor thing. Uh, she spent the night of October 29th with Pamela Hupp following a hospital visit. At approximately five o'clock on October 30th, Hupp dropped her off at her apartment and instructed staff not to expect her for dinner that evening or breakfast the following day. A housekeeper found Shirley Newman, her mother, dead beneath the balcony of her home at 2.30 on October 31st, 2013. Uh, The aluminum balcony railing was broken. Uh, Following a police investigation, assistant medical examiner, the assistant medical examiner concluded that she had died from blunt trauma to the chest, resulting from an accidental fall. Uh, an autopsy found that she had 80 or 0.84 micrograms of the sedative zolfidem in her blood over eight times the expected concentration for someone having a normal dose. Oh, so she was knocked out by somebody. She had way too much of a sedative put in her. Yeah. Uh, <gasps> in November of 2013, the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous note that suggested Hupp had murdered her mother to receive life insurance. Uh, she was the last person known to have seen her alive, and Hupp and her siblings approximately each received $120,000 of investments, as well as sharing a $10,000 life insurance payout. Well... Uh, earlier that year, prior to her mother's death, Hupp had been videotaped saying, my mom's worth half a million that I get when she dies. Uh, the police reopened their investigation, or opened their investigation, but after interviewing a housekeeper who had found Newman's body and Newman's son, Michael, both of whom stated that Newman was unsteady, concluded that her death was accidental and they did not interview Hupp. Okay. I don't like Patty. <laughs> Pamela. Pamela, well, whatever it is, fucking P. Hup, hump, P. Hup. Uh, then on August sixteenth, two thousand and sixteen, Pamela Hup called nine one one, claiming that a man armed with a knife had jumped out of a car driven by another person into her driveway, accosted her while she sat in her sport utility vehicle in her garage, and demanded that she drive them to a bank to retrieve Russ's money. Remember Russ Faria? Mm-hmm. Prompting her to run into her house, and then she shot the man in self-defense with a Ruger LCR she kept on her nightstand after he pursued her. Okay. The man was Louis Roy's <laughs> Gumpenberger. 
Some weird fucking names in this, huh? G-U-M-P-E-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. Gumpenberger. That's what I would say. Uh, in self-defense. Oh, wait, no, I already got there. Uh, who was a resident of St. Charles, Missouri. Um, following a car crash in 2005, he suffered from severe mental and physical impairments. Okay. So he died after being shot five times by Hupp in her home. Um, the prosecuting attorney and the O'Fallon chief of police theorized that Hupp had lured Gumpenberger to her home by presenting herself as Kathy, a producer for the television program Dateline NBC. So Dateline had been all over Faria's murder. They've done okay. like seven or eight episodes on Betsy Faria's murder. Really? Okay. Yes. So she claimed to be a producer for Dateline and offered to pay him to reenact a 911 call. Then shot him in order to implicate Russ Faria in an attempt to on her life because she had all the insurance money because she changed it to her name. Oh my God. I, I'm then, telling you. Don't like this P hup. Right. And then she planted a knife and a note on his body. So the note in, in the note had instructions to kidnap Hup and get Russ's money from Hup at her bank and kill Hup. And then take Hup back to the house and get rid of her. Make it look like Russ's wife. Make sure there's a knife sticking out of her neck. Oh my god. In return for a reward of ten thousand dollars, um there or in that's in return for a reward of ten thousand dollars and the note. Um, so there were several pieces of ed- evidence that were found. So cell phone records showed that Hupp had been in Gumpenberger's neighborhood less than one hour before the shooting. Um, on August 10th of 2016, a police report had been filed that the St. Charles County Police stating that a woman matching Hupp's description had approached another resident uh, posing as a Dateline Embassy producer and offering her $1,000 to reenact a 911 call. Uh, security camera footage showed that there was Hupp's car. Um, and then another individual also informed police that Hupp had approached him with a similar proposition. Police and get, investigators found $900 bills in Gumpenberger's pocket and a $10,000 bill found on Hump's dresser had the same sequential serial number. Mm. Uh, they suggested that the knife found on Gumpenberger's body had been purchased at the Dollar Tree alongside several other items found in Hupp's house. A uh, carpet swatch found by police appeared to have been positioned to protect a rug in Hupp's home from Gumpenberger's blood. What the fuck? And investigators were skeptical that he, because he had severe physical and mental impairments, he would have allowed him to carry out the acts that Hupp described him doing. Right. Oh my gosh! This bitch! This bitch! This is a while since you said that. Calls, yeah, if it's anybody calls for that, it's this, this bitch. bitch. <laughs> so on August twenty third, two thousand and sixteen, she was arrested and charged with first degree murder and armed criminal action. Once being arrested, she asked to visit a bathroom where she used a ballpoint pen to stab her neck and wrists in a suicide attempt. Um, her bail was set at two million. And on December 16th, 2016, a grand jury indicted her for first-degree murder and armed criminal action. Uh, Her court started on January 31st, 2017, and she pled not guilty. Uh, And then in March of 2017, prosecutors stated they would seek the death penalty. Um, 
And then in August of 2008, her trial was set for 2018. Her trial was set for June of 2019. Okay. So in June of 2019, she entered an Alford guilty plea. Oh, is that the I acknowledge you have enough information? So it means that a yeah, a defendant in a criminal case will not admit to the criminal acts and says they are innocent, but they are entering an Alford guilty plea that the evidence presented would likely persuade a judge or jury to find them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt um, and to the charges of first-degree murder and criminal act, armed criminal action. So it waived her right to a jury trial, and as a condition of the deal with prosecutors, she did not face the death penalty. Okay. So she, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on August 12th of 2019, and she is at the Chillicothe Correctional Center in Chillicothe, Missouri. Um, in a phone call to her husband, she claimed that she had pled guilty so that her family wouldn't have to witness an ugly trial. Uh, yeah. Okay. So in October of 2019, Gumpenberger's mother, <laughs> Margaret Birch, filed a lawsuit for wrongful death, fraud, and misrepresentation against incarcerated help. Um, and her, it was a sum in excess of the jurisdictional limits of the court. So she was asking for quite a bit of money. She, she's like, I'm just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks, because, bitch, you tried to blame my son So... Um, Shirley Newman's son, Michael, so her brother, reiterated that he believed his mother's death had been accidental, but detectives in the case attempted to get a subpoena for the location of Hupp's cell phone at the time of her mother's death, but was unsuccessful. They also attempted to organize forensic testing on the balcony railing, um, but the Lakeview Park Independent Senior Living Community refused to provide a railing for testing. Hmm. Uh, and then in November of 2017, the chief medical examiner did change the mother's death from accidental to undetermined. Um, so, but it's still, the investigation has not been reopened into her death. Um, and then Faria's case is actually still considered unsolved, but they believe that she did it. Right. Um, wow. Yes. So then, um, just a... The murder of Betsy Fario was the subject of five Dateline NBC episodes. Um, the House on Sumac Drive was the name of one. Game Night was another night. Return to Game Night, Stranger Than Fiction, and The Thing About Pam was the last one. Fucking Pam. Uh, she has received more coverage from Dateline than any other subject outside of O.J. Simpson and John Benet Ramsey. Oh. And technically, her case is still considered unsolved. Technically. Yes. But we all know. We all fucking know that she changed the signature. She forged her signature, got the money, mm-hmm. and then got away with her murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Until mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. murdered good old Gumpenberger. Then Gumpenberger uh, just spoiled her whole plan, you know? Fucking ruined her whole plan. Well, maybe she should have just not killed anybody. Weird. It's a crazy, crazy thought. So it's kind of a weird... Yeah. I think it's kind of cool that it has a bunch of date lines on it. So obviously, like, if it's something that's intriguing to any of you, feel free to pop into that Check and out see some date more lines. Deets. They've got like five or six episodes on it. They've got a couple deets in there, you know. Yeah, yeah, so. that was good. Oh, thank good you. job for a high story. Oh, thank you. Woo. 
<laughs> there's, done quite a, there's quite a few spelling mistakes that I just kind of like defense well, had a C in it. I don't know. You there were spelling mistakes. There were a couple times you had to stop and like make sense of what you wrote. I'm sorry, but, I don't understand what I'm saying here. Just but it was a, a good story. Oh, good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thumbs. The fuck? <laughs> was that you? Yeah, that was my phone is on the other side of the bed and it was a weather app notification. Oh, I like straight up went to put thumbs up and it started bling. I was like, did I pause something did, to happen? Did I do that? Is there is there like a zoom thing where it's a thumb that <laughs> makes like a excited sound? That would be cool. Bling. <laughs> All right, what do you got for me? Oh, I got so I had this like want to write about some sort of like mm, a case that had to deal with somebody who was in like a recluse of some sort so looked up a recluse like true crime recluse stories whatever and i came across because i find being a recluse very interesting for whatever reason i came across simon dale Okay. So I'm going to tell you about him and his story. Okay. He's dead. <laughs> so that's the, that's the true crime part of it, all right? Good to know. <laughs> okay, so Simon Dale was born in 1919 in Richmond, Surrey, England. He became an architect just like his father when he grew up. And when he was 38 years old, he met Susan Wilbert Force, who was 15 years his junior and she was quite well off she was known as from to be from an aristocratic family um she had a great great grandfather who was a slavery abolitionist okay and his name was william william wilbert force which is where her name sake came from right okay so this is where her like line of wealth and fame in a sense came from so they started dating and her family really didn't care for um, Simon, mostly because he wasn't well off and it wasn't going to like build their name in any family way. Sounds you know like what I mean? Dicks. Uh, they're aristocrats. I mean, I don't want to say all aristocrats are dicks, but aristocrats, but most don't of them are. Don't you mean aristic cats? <laughs> <laughs> so fucking stupid. But most of them tend to be concerned about like the name. Yeah you know that's how that's how most of england is inbred i mean they're royals not england itself (laughs) you know i totally like just read like 10 members of royalty not necessarily england just general royalty that had deformities and issues because of inbreeding yeah it's freaking weird fucking your cousins guys they're like who's whose mother was, were brother and sister and i'm like oh, oh why but why <laughs> oh why so anyway they were dating and shortly after their courtship they got married okay so her family was against it but she was rebelling a little bit and went for it anyway right um so a couple years after their marriage they bought a 17th century 30 bedroom mansion which they named it Heath House. So that's it was one of those, excessive. Yeah, it was. Why one do of those, you need thirty bedrooms? 
I, I don't know. And it's just the two of them right then. <laughs> but why? But why? There's so many of those moments in this. Just you just, just like a on. nice two bedroom would have would have done you good. <laughs> you would have had you would have had extra space. <laughs> so they named it Heath House, which was like a huge thing back in the day when people would buy mansions. They'd like title them and put like sign out being this is the Heath House, whatever you know. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing is, is that it was pretty run down and it needed a lot of work. So they had gotten it as like their project to do together. Okay. Uh, after moving in, they did have their first son, and then that was followed by three more sons and a daughter. So they had like five kids ish together, I think. You still don't need a thirty bedroom mansion, right? No, I don't. Don't even get me started. I read so many. Well, there were some things that said they were fifty bedrooms, some things that said it was a thirty bedroom. Most of them said thirty, so I went with thirty. Either so way, I'm like excessive. Uh, much, much. So in 1972, Susan filed for divorce, claiming that Simon was abusive and excessively demanded sex. So basically, he was like a horny sex- motherfucker. Yeah, a sexaholic and wanted like wanted it all the time and would get pissed if she wouldn't have sex with him. This is what she said. Okay. So she also claimed that Simon would wear women's clothing on occasion. Nice. And another story that she had was once she that he had dug a grave on their property and brought her to it and basically said that he would put her in that if she wasn't basically listening to him right these are all stories from susan but there really wasn't any like evidence that any of this happened but this is why she's filed for divorce some of her reasonings okay so july of 1973 the divorce was finally granted and susan moved out of the mansion and about 30 miles away um onto a little farm like little farmhouse okay they were supposed to sell the heath house and split the money but simon never really put in the effort that needed to be done to get it sold um because it needed work like i said he basically just shut himself into it using only three of the 30 rooms that were in the house <laughs> well that's a bit why why do you have a 30 room mansion now? yeah so he kind of became a recluse after she left him and took the kids and everything. Okay. So he started, when they first got married, he was known to be almost half blind. Like he couldn't see very well and his sight just was getting worse and worse with time. He wrote a manuscript about the history of England from 30, 300 AD to 600 AD. He was known to be exotic and eccentric and had some really odd beliefs about the Heath house. So he was pretty attached to it because he, so he thought that it was built where Camelot was, you know, the mythical Camelot. He thought his house was built on Camelot's land. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That was the Isle of Avalon. Yeah, it's, you know, not an Isle. it's just it's strange so he also thought that the holy grail was buried under his cellar that's not the case (laughs) yeah nope nope and and he thought king arthur's round table was buried underneath his bushes in his garden so he was just straight up cray cray yeah he kind of fell off his rocker let's just say that fruity tooty loops up here so susan his ex-wife moved in moved on the best that she could 
Um, after they parted ways in, on September 11th, 1984, she got remarried to Baron Michael Richard Joseph DeSemple. Do you really need that many names? Apparently. <laughs> he was a wealthy, um, wealthy man who came from old money from Russia. So he was a baron. Just what her parents wanted. Exactly. So he was a baron, which made her a baroness. Okay. When they got married. So she was like, oh, look at me. I'm a baroness. Okay. So this marriage was problematic from the beginning. Baron Michael refused to consummate the marriage and slept on a tent on the farm's property. The fuck? (laughs) Yeah. He... (laughs) He slept in a tent on the property that Susan was renting at the time. Um, and they divorced. Diversed. They divorced. They divorced. So they divorced only about two years later. Um, she kept the title as Baroness, though, because she liked it. I and do. Right. And she kept DeSemple as the last name because it kind of carried some clout, right? Right. So Susan and two of her children moved into a cottage after... The Baron and her had divorced. The children were Marcus and Sophia. Okay. Okay. They moved into this cottage and it was right beside Heath House with the intention to fix it up. They would fix up the exterior as much as they could. And then they wouldn't even have to really have the contact with Simon as much as, like, as little as possible. They wanted to have contact with Simon because he was straight far- up cray cray. Well, as far as Susan said, he was, like, abusive and whatever, so it right. was kind of like, we're just going to avoid at all costs. The best way to not is to not. Exactly, but they wanted to get the house sold so that they could, because from what Susan was saying is she had no money to buy a house because all of their money was put into this house, so they were supposed to sell it. She would get half, and she'd be able to get some place for them to live, which is why right. she was renting. So they began working on the ex- exterior of the house trying to sharpen it up, get it sold. Um, Simon pretty much had no interaction with them, stayed inside and worked on his manuscripts. <laughs> um, he would just work with this woman, Giselle Wall, who was actually typing up the manuscripts. Like he'd write them out and she'd bring them home and type them up so that they were legible and made sense and whatever. Okay. Um, then on September 13th, 1987, the manuscript was all finished. Like she had finished typing it up. So she was bringing it over to the Heath house to show Simon. When she got into the house, she could, she got hit by a smell. So she walks in, she's like, oh, like, oh my gosh. She walks into the kitchen and found 68 year old Simon dead on the floor in the middle of a pool of dried blood. So it had been there a while. Uh, clearly he had been beaten about the head is what she said so he was he was a mess the oven was still on and had burnt food in it it was like burnt to a crisp had right yeah basically just burnt up Giselle called the police they came to the mansion and found no sign of a break-in or any sort of forced entry no murder weapon was found on the property either that they could find that matched his wounds um It was determined that Simon had been struck in the head five times with a long, narrow, cylindrical object. Okay? Like a cane? So they thought it was like a, either a, like, crowbar or or like a fire poker. Like it was narrow enough to be hard, but 
or it was narrow enough to be considered narrow, but hard enough and blunt enough to be able to cause major damage. Okay. So they, oh, so they hit him the five times and then they hit him once in the throat, which was actually the cause of death because he choked on his own blood. Uh. So the blunt force in his head was not his cause of death. It was choking. Okay. Um, the belief is that the weapon was either a crowbar or a fire poker, like I said. And they found that there actually was a fire poker missing from the fireplace set in the house. So they were like, well, maybe it's the fire poker from there. Um, this was the only thing that was noticeably missing from the house. Everything else seemed to be in order. And that's the only thing that they could tell was just like not where it should be. Okay. After... <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> after discovering the after discovering that the police went to tell susan and the children the news that they found him this is kind of where we're at you know letting them know they said that susan didn't seem bothered by the murder and neither did the children they like weren't surprised didn't have any sort of emotional reaction to it susan Mm-hmm. Some close friends of Simon say that they had had weird encounters with Susan as well. Um, it seemed like she was trying to scare people away from the property. One time she threatened a person who was coming to visit with a crowbar. They also said that Simon had voiced his fear of Susan. And once he had even said that Susan would be responsible if anything had ever happened to him. Mm. So Susan's cottage was searched, obviously, and they found a dirty old crowbar, but there was no blood on it. Um, they found the missing fire poker in Susan's car, which hmm. was thoroughly cleaned. Ah. <laughs> You're so dumb. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I see. <laughs> uh, so the medical examiner <laughs> believed. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> the metal, medical examiner believed that Simon had been killed about two days before he was actually discovered. There was no, like, he didn't have any definitive time, but that's what he would guess, that there was at least two days between being discovered and when he died. Okay. Uh, meaning that he had most likely been killed on September 11th, 1987. Oh. Which would have been Susan and the Barons' third anniversary, so that'd be a stressor, right? Weird. Weird. Um, in January of 1988, with circumstantial evidence, they arrested Susan, along with the two children, but the charges were dropped later for the children. Okay. Because there's, there was nothing really linking them to it. Susan went to trial in July of that year and she testified in her own defense. She admitted that she did carry a crowbar around the property for her own protection because she didn't want to run into Simon and not be ready. Okay. Um, also, she said that she had been in the Heath house the night that Simon was killed, but that she had left and when she left, he was still alive. Mm, a likely story, likely story. <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> she also said 
that when she was leaving, she took the fire poker because she noticed that it had some buildup on it, so she was going to clean it for him. Yeah, random thing. Sorry. That doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you, it's like, uh, I'm sorry, what? That's the stupidest, stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. So, and she also said that she had to, so the lawyer says, well, there's no actual physical evidence linking Susan to this, right? Yep, her lawyer's right, there isn't. Mm -hmm. And she had to rush home to watch a TV show, so she was on a time clock, so (laughs) she didn't have time. Listen, maybe there was a space launch happening. And she wanted to see, okay? And she said, yes, Simon was a nuisance, but she didn't kill him. <laughs> She's like, Oh, mm-hmm. she might have. Yeah. So the trial lasted about 14 days, and the deliberation was only four hours. They acquitted Susan, and she walked free. There was not <laughs> enough she... linking her, for sure, to it. Oh, she deaf did it. But... Dun, dun, dun. So, there is more. Um, so this made people dig into Susan a little bit more, like, into her past and her own, like, financial things. Authorities thought it was weird that Susan lived in this tiny cottage, but she had, like, mounds and mounds of fine art, antiques, fancy stuff. Like, it, they said that it literally looked like it was a storeroom for a museum it wasn't it wasn't like a living space you know what i mean right they found that this was strange because they knew susan had no form of income and the whole reason she wanted to sell the house was because she needed some sort of money to be able to live so how did you Mm. come across all these fancy dancy things right right so they looked into it and susan so we whoop 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 back to like 1984 okay okay this is right around the time her and the baron had gotten married Mm -hmm. or are about to get married somewhere in there susan had an aunt named lady margaret illenworth who had been married to a former postmaster general he passed away several years earlier leaving illenworth with a small fortune oh in early 1984 illenworth was suffering from alzheimer's (gasps) And when Susan was, this is when Susan was living on that rental farm. Mm -hmm. So she invited her aunt to come and live with them and she would take care of her, you know, what a normal family member would do, right? But this was the first time that Susan had contacted her aunt in over eight years. Oh, shit, Susan. So Illinworth got to the farm February 29th, 1984, which I thought was hilarious because it's a leap year. It's literally the one day uh-huh. that would happen in a leap year, but I thought it was a weird thing. Um, and seven months later, Susan and the Baron got married. They paid for the wedding, selling some of Illinworth's jewelry. Dick move, but okay. Right. Then three months after they had gotten married, Susie, 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 Susan moved Illinworth into a nursing home and she lived there for almost two years and then passed away when she was 85. Susan and her children were the only ones who attended her funeral, not because nobody wanted to, but because they told nobody that she had passed away. 
they didn't tell the family they found out when all this stuff came like came up dick move bro yeah so illinworth was a wealthy woman before moving to susan's house and she ended up dying eight thousand pounds in debt yeah and her funeral went unpaid for susan i know so susan had been forging illinsworth's signature and drained her accounts um the will was also changed recently weird before she before she moved in with susan susan and her family weren't weren't on her will at all and then all of a sudden they were made the beneficiaries with nobody else on it nice so i imagine what happened there Mm -hmm. so it's believed that susan stole about five hundred thousand pounds worth of assets from her aunt about 1.8 million u.s dollars in 2020 because this was in the early 80s jesus yeah susan and the baron and the two children sophia and marcus were charged with theft and forgery because everybody was aware of the situation and everybody was stealing shit Mm mm-hmm in April 1990, Susan pled guilty and got seven years. The rest pled not guilty, and they were found guilty. So okay. Baron was sentenced to the Baron was sentenced to four years. Sophia was sentenced to 30 months, and Marcus was sentenced to 18 months. I wonder if he was a minor. Youngest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but rumor has it that Illensworth had mounds of gold bars and that Susan stole them and are hiding them someplace or is hiding uh, them someplace. Um, but there's never been any evidence to back that up, but there was like talk that she had all this like in a safe piles of gold bars worth like millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, Susan adamantly denies that she killed Simon Dale, but then who would have any you, reason you to you did it you did yeah it. he had very few friends and even fewer enemies they say everything i read they were like so he didn't talk to like anybody so nobody had any reason not to like him he was an old man in a house by himself exactly Who? so this case has gone extremely cold because they pretty sure that she did it yeah she did it but because she had been acquitted mm-hmm. they can't like they can't go after her again so right um obviously i i put at the end what do you think but clearly she fucking did it she fucking did it so i don't know i found it very interesting it was a random thing that like went into another random rabbit hole of like forgeries and money laundering and stuff yeah that's weird seems to be my thing these days i don't know white collar crime yeah 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 but it's short simple sweet to the well not sweet but to the point I liked it. It was good. Yeah, you did good, kid. Thanks. I thought it was weird that he thought Camelot was where his house was. It wasn't. He was wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong, sir. You're, I'm sorry. <laughs> Which is funny since he like made manuscripts of the history of England. Right. It's like that's it's not real. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh All right, kid. What you thinking? How you doing? Well, <laughs> Let me tell you, you know my experiences that I've been having. I've been texting to the, them to you. Yes. Men are People such are, fucking assholes. They're just so dumb. I have so many funny ones. Let me pull up our text conversations because I've screenshotted most of them, but some of them are like, I've just been like, this just happened. Yeah. I don't know what to do. 
no um, okay so one of them talking to a guy just saying hey what's up you know and he's like let's get together and i was like okay well i'm basically on bed rest and he makes some i didn't even screenshot this but it was some unoriginal comment because it happened it a couple of times where it's like well i can help you relax if you want to have sex or something stupid and so i was like yeah i haven't washed my leg in 10 days do you honestly think i want to get some right now <laughs> do you think i'm feeling sexy in any way no <laughs> stupid no get out of here um what's the one that i i told you and katie this one. Oh, oh yeah i sent you a screenshot of this one so this dude told me he's like you look you got great eyes and i was like oh thanks and he said you're welcome and then he said i just got out of a long relationship that didn't end well recently so i'm pretty insecure about myself right now but you seem like a real cool chick i'd really like your opinion on my insecurities if you'd be willing to give me your honest opinion if not it's cool i just wanted to ask and i was like i mean i can but i don't really know you so i'm not sure how i could answer them and he's like, he's like, well, I want an unbiased, honest opinion. What do you think of my looks? I was like, obviously, I thought you were attractive or I wouldn't have matched with you, question mark. <laughs> he's like, do you have messenger? And I was like, I said no, because I'm like, You're, you want it? No. Why? No, 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 no. He's like, well, my ex cheated on me and I'm super insecure about my dick. <laughs> I'm so insecure about it. I bought a penis pump last week. And block. And block. <laughs> I totally, okay, so I totally read that to Chris. He goes like, I mean, it seems reasonable, like, whatever. Maybe he's, like, wanting to talk. And then, no. And then I got to the, yeah, I'm really insecure about my penis. And he's like, what the fuck, dude? Because, <laughs> like, when he's talking about, like, what do you think of my looks? And then they're like, obviously, I find you attractive. It's like, well, uh, okay, yeah. Because he says yeah. something like, haha ha, i guess and then he said well i just got out of a long whatever and he's just like what the fuck that just went what and i was like that's how it goes he goes oh my god i'm glad that i never like was in that generation of that's how you have to meet people like that's how you do it now this is my fucking nightmare um let me hold on did i tend you another one no but i do have a screenshot i am ready um oh i was talking to a guy and i was like you look really familiar because i thought he was like a bouncer in rochester or something and so we were talking and, and he's like nope i'm not but i've been down rochester i'm like oh maybe that's where i've seen you before and so we were talking and then he's like so you had surgery on your leg right and i was like yeah and he's like so can you still spread your legs what and fuck get the fuck out of here so can you still spread your legs dude what the fuck yeah um this one made me laugh so hard because his his opening message i didn't respond was sweet 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 lady <laughs> thank you <laughs> no thank you um sweet 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 lady um and then this guy i'm pretty sure you would get swept up off your feet wifed up committed to and quite possibly impregnated if you lived closer <laughs> seems seems like a lot of opening message that's an opening message dude what the fuck is wrong with everybody yeah the world's about to end we're all we'll just leave god's gonna just smite us all i just He's like let's start over <laughs> i 
Uh... Oh, I have another good one. I'm going to read this one. So he said, what's up? I said, not much you. And he's like, going crazy. And I was like, sounds fun. He said, Wana- Wamna Cone. And I commented back, that's not English. And he commented back, I'm sorry, okay. Emmett, do you want to come? <laughs> no! If I did, I'd take care of it myself. Get out of here! Oh, did he mean it like... Yeah. He's like spelled that? C-U-M. Oh. Stupid. I figured he was asking if you wanted to come be crazy with them. No. 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 No, he no of course not. That makes too much sense. <laughs> so, uh, when people ask me why I'm single, that's why. Because I'm mentally ill, Branton. Because I'm mentally ill, Branton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Should we wrap this up? Yep. I'm hungry. So. I'm... I'm tired. I'm tired and I want to go home. You are home. I am home. All right. All so. right. So. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Echoes McGee? I'm like, I'm like trying to the be same as, thing as trying to be as serious as possible. I'm just seeing how long it takes until you're like, the fuck? And I turn and look at you and you're just like, Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. That's that's where we're going now. <laughs> Gonna be that person. All right. Well, follow us on the Facebook and the Instagram. Yeah, and um, I mean, you can follow us on Twitter. Probably won't see you, but thanks. Uh, <laughs> we're ISW the podcast on all those things, and then send us an email of any sort on ISW the podcast at gmail dot com. Um, I should have more time to be active on all this social media stuff here yeah. soon since I'm going part-time oh. at my work. At my work. At all right. My... Well, yeah, yeah. spread the word. And spread yourselves. And if you have foot surgery, you still can spread your legs in case anyone was wondering. If anybody was... Apparently that's a question people have, so... <laughs> Well, maybe he was seriously concerned about your medical needs. No, I had foot surgery to make myself a fucking mermaid. Yes, I can spread my legs. What do you fucking want? Get out of here. I'm a mermaid. (laughs) I should have, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have blocked him. I should have said, no, I'm a mermaid now. No, I'm a mermaid now. (laughs) He would have been so confused. (laughs) Uh, Oh, cool. All right, kid. I'll see you later. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.